Hello and welcome to episode 84 of the Witcher chapter by chapter book review where I'll go through a summary of the latest chapter and give my detailed thoughts on it. Today we're discussing chapter 9 from the Tower of Swallows. Let's just jump right into it today. I've got no little discussion to go through before the book the chapter discussion. So yeah, let's just jump right into it. I'll kick it off with the recap. Then we'll go through the summary and then we'll go through the talk of the details of the chapter. Uh, the recap, I'm not going to tell you what happened in the last chapter because it's got little to do with this chapter. I want to recap you on where we last left off with the characters that we're following in chapter nine. And those characters include Yennefer. Thank goodness. It's been a long time and we've been wondering what happened to her for way too long. So it's Great that we're finally getting some answers here, although we, we do get more questions, but I'll get around to that. Uh, so Yennefer, Triss, and Krakon Crate, who is of Skellige. We don't hear about him very often, so just to remind you, he is uh, Jarl from Skellige. Well, where we last left off with Yennefer. We last saw Yen right before she teleported out of the lodge meeting in Monte Calvo Castle with the help of the Nilfgaardian sorceress Frangilla Vigo. She did this right after learning that Ciri is missing and not in Nilfgaard like she was rumored to be. We left off with Triss when she was in Bremivord, listening to a Skelligan fishwife tell the story about how Yen fell out of the sky and into her fishing net, and how following this event, she learned that Yennefer got herself killed by her own spells. As for Croc, it's kind of difficult to say when we last saw Croc. Last time he was present in the story, uh, was back in the Question of Price short story in the first book. Uh, and that was the one where Geralt invoked the Law of Surprise and became destined to Ciri. So Croc was there as a contender for Princess Pavetta's hand, Ciri's mother. Obviously, he did not win her hand in marriage, but he was there for that purpose. But we also saw him since then in a flashback when he was swearing to pay a debt to Queen Calanthe after the death of Ciri's parents. But we also heard a mention of him more recently during the council meeting between the northern leaders uh, back before the second Nilfgaardian war broke out. They said he was regularly attacking and setting fire to Nilfgaardian maritime settlements and forts. All right, so now that we're all on the same page as for where we last left off with these characters, let's talk about what they're doing in chapter nine. Well, after convincing him that she's not a traitor and reminding him that he swore an oath to Queen Calanthe, Jarl Crack on Crate aids Yennefer in her mission to find and rescue Ciri. After the sorceress teleported to Skellige, she quickly began working on her mission, which included creating a megascope to communicate with others in remote locations. Building the megascope required the retrieval of a diamond from a, re a religious statue on the island of Hindersfjall. The priestess there tells Yennefer the diamond cannot be removed, but after sitting with the priestess during prayer and then falling in and out of a deep trance, the diamond presented itself to Yen. After communicating with other mages using the megascope, Yen has Croc get two ships crewed to head out to a place known as the Sedna Abyss, which is actually where Ciri's parents died. Later, one of the crew members from the ship that Yen was not aboard tells Croc about how the ship she was on was suddenly subjected to catastrophic weather changes that caused the boat to rapidly spin and rise above the water until there was an explosion and then nothing was left of the ship. Later, Triss came to Skellige to inquire about Yennefer from Croc. 
He tells her about what Yennefer was up to while in Skellige, and the two try to figure out together what exactly Yennefer was trying to do to find and rescue Ciri. We also get a brief glimpse at Ciri and Visigoda. The old hermit was telling Ciri what he knew about the Tower of the Swallow and how it contains a portal that is supposed to come from the Tower of the Gull and Thaned, but should only be able to present itself to a chosen few. I gotta apologize really quick. I feel like I'm my allergies are kind of acting up right now, so if I sound very nasally or if you hear me sniffling a little bit, <laughs> um, I apologize. I'm aware of it. I'm, it's kind of coming out of nowhere as I was talking through the summary, so please bear with me, but we'll still get through it. Okay, so to start out the discussion, we'll take it from the top, uh, beginning of the chapter. Well, we start out all of these events with Yennefer waiting on the shore for Crack to return from a sea expedition. There's other women around who are waiting for their husbands that were also on the expedition. And there's a moment where one of the pregnant wives faints when her husband's ship does not return. And then Yennefer very quickly uses magic to save the baby. And I know it's been a while since we've seen Yennefer, but a lot of the times when I think of her, I remember she can be very stern and like a very hard person, but she does have quite the soft side. It doesn't show all the time, but it's there for sure. And I felt like this moment was a nice reminder of the soft side that we got to see like when she became close to the Siri. So I thought that it was pretty cool that when we see Yennefer again for the first time in a while, that we see her doing something very nice. So Croc returns and immediately shows his disgust toward Yennefer, and that is coming from the belief of the rumors about her as a traitor with Vilgeforts. And this whole encounter is actually pretty interesting because the first thing he says is, whoever did that will answer for it when he sees the bruise on her face that she received from the fisherwoman who hit her with the paddle. <laughs> and when Yennefer dismisses the bruise, he goes right into accusation mode. So we learned throughout the chapter that they've been close in the past, Yennefer and Croc, even romantically close. There's no detail shared as far as when or how they got close, but they have definitely been involved. <laughs> so it's not necessarily surprising looking back to this moment in the beginning of the chapter that he would be concerned when he thought that someone hurt her, even though he thought that she was a traitor and was working with Nilfgaard. In fact, his respect for her, even when he thinks she committed treachery, is probably why he was so quick to believe she was not working with Nilfgaard and why he didn't require any proof or very much reasoning. So basically, when he does come around to believe her, it doesn't take that much longer after this first moment in the chapter. And she's got no proof to show him. She doesn't really even try to reason with him that much. She basically just says, I am not a traitor. I was not working with Vilgefortz. I am not working with Nilfgaard. Believe me. And he's a little bit skeptical at first, but just a couple more little nudges. And he's like, okay, sure, I believe you. But before this moment when he comes around and decides to believe her, he tells her that he's going to have her board a ship to Novigrad, where either Temerian or Redanian officials, whoever arrives first, will arrest her. And uh, she just convinces him not to move forward with this step, even before she tells him um, or gets him to agree to believe that she's not a traitor. But she does convince him to not move forward with this step because she's trying to rescue Ciri and he needs to help her in order to keep the vow that he made to Calanthe and Ciri, 
which actually just so happened to have taken place in the very spot that the two of them are standing in right then and there. I thought that was kind of cool. Well, he agrees, of course, to help out with the Siri rescue mission. And later, they're having dinner when she convinces him he wasn't a, a, an accomplice of Ilgefort. So once they're on the same page, Yennefer tells him that his help can be offered in the form of money. At this point, she doesn't elaborate on her plans at all. And honestly, she doesn't really elaborate that much throughout the rest of the chapter on what she's doing and what her plans are. It's all pretty vague, but I will try to explain it to the best of my ability, given what the chapter explains. So, and some of these things you have to kind of pick apart from different parts of the chapter. It's not all told in chronological order because it goes back and forth between Yen's perspective, Croc's perspective, Triss's perspective, and then you kind of have to like piece it together. I put everything in chrono chronological order just so that you know. So that I, I think that the way I'm going to go through the chapter here is going to make it uh, more clear. It's going to make it clearer than the chapter itself does. <laughs> I hope so, at least. I mean, I, that's how I organized it, but I'm, I hope that that does help in case you were struggling, because I did struggle the first time I read this chapter, and it was probably like the third time around reading this chapter that I was able to be like, okay, so now that makes more sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, Yen starts doing what she has to do to find Siri. So she's working with this seneschal and this jeweler trying to find a 30 carat diamond to build a megascope so that she can communicate with others. The jeweler tells her she can find this diamond that she needs on a statue of the goddess Freya in a religious temple on the Isle of Hinderskjall. So Krak accompanies her to the temple and Yen is super reluctant to ask the priestesses for the diamond because priests and mage, mages usually do not like each other. Luckily, the priestess they meet, and I'm probably going to butcher her name, I apologize if I do, her name's Sigurdrifa, Sigurdrifa. Uh, she's actually well disposed to Yen because she was actually there. She was present when Yen saved the baby of the pregnant woman who fainted at the beginning of the chapter. So this made Sigurdrifa sympathetic toward Yen. Plus, she also knew Siri and she liked Siri from back in the day uh, before Calanthe died in the first Nilfgaardian War happened um, when Siri used to go visit Skellige regularly. Unluckily, um, the diamond that Yennefer needs on the statue is not removable. So Yen is of course very disappointed by this discovery, but before she leaves, Sigurdrifa asks her to join her in prayer. And Yen, it doesn't, this isn't something that sounds good to Yen, but she agrees. And while she's accompanying the priestess, she starts to ponder over how priests are able to use magic since they do not conjure it the same way that mages do. And I thought that this was actually pretty interesting. We really don't fully learn how it works, but it's um, rare in the story. And when I say the story, I mean from the very first book until now that we see priests use magic, but we have seen it. And it's never really been explained until now that they harness magic differently from the mages. Well, while she's wondering about this, she decides to try and enter a similar trance like they do, and she is successful. So. I want to talk about this trance in detail because a lot goes on during this whole scene and it's very interesting and it's kind of, it, it's not really fleshed out what exactly is going on with all the different things, but let's just get into it. So at first, Anne thinks that she fell asleep and then she 
thinks that she's being awoken by the priestess who then escorts her outside. But it doesn't take long from this moment before we realize she's not experiencing reality. So during the trance, as it will be referred to from here on out, I'll just refer to it as a trance, she's talking to Sigurdrifa, but then she's suddenly talking to a figure that seems to be the goddess Freya, who's asking her if she's willing to sacrifice herself and her magic. So from here, it gets pretty chaotic, and she starts to experience and see some things. So the first thing is that she is suddenly hanging by her arms from a tree and she's in excruciating pain and she hears someone say, hurry to the tower of the swallow. So after this, she starts to see a lot of things. She has these visions. So she sees this really sad flashback of her parents from when she was a child. Then she sees Siri on her horse while blood is spraying from her from her face. Uh, Geralt is the next thing she sees when he's fighting in the battle um, on the bridge. And then she sees what appears to be Fringilla Vigo and Geralt being quite intimate with each other. Very interesting. And finally, the last thing that she sees is Siri leading Yennefer through a long dark corridor with a bunch of doors that open on their own except for one at the end. All right, let's talk about all these different things for the trance, one by one. So she's hanging from a tree at the beginning, and at this moment, it's not exactly clear what this is about, but later in the chapter, Siri and Visigoda talk about this legendary hero called Hemdal, and how he hung from a tree for nine days and nine nights by his arms, just like how Yennefer was, so that he could gain knowledge and power through sacrifice and pain. And Siri even says that she's dreamt of a similar image to that before, which is pretty strange. Well, that's really all that's said about that moment. So we'll move on to the next one. <laughs> so the vision she has or the flashback of her parents. We haven't had or we haven't heard much about Yennefer's childhood, but in the last wish story, we learn that a lot of sorceresses usually were not born as attractive as they are now, and they have their flaws removed after they become a sorceress. And Geralt in that story somehow discovers that Yen was born with a hunchback. Well, now we're basically caught up on what we know of Yen's past. So the flashback is basically of her father cruelly telling her mother that he wanted nothing to do with Yen as he saw her as a monstrosity and he accused the mother of having gotten pregnant with Yennefer by another man. Also that because she aborted her first child and because elven blood runs in her family is why Yen was born the way that she was born. And then he leaves and proudly announces that he's going to another woman and then the mother takes her negative emotions that she received from that whole interaction. She takes it all out on Yen. So her father was clearly a terrible person, and it seemed like the mother was okay until the father left, and then she starts to treat her daughter terribly. I think this is a good way of demonstrating where Yen's superior attitude, her excessive pride, and her sternness came from. And I'm not going to try and sit here and psychoanalyze her, since I'm definitely not qualified to do that. But it really made me feel bad for her and think about some of the moments where she seemed too harsh toward Geralt, especially Geralt, or even Ciri and consider that it's probably coming from bad insecurities as a result of her horrible childhood. And she's probably never been able to shake those insecurities completely. So at least we can see why she's like that sometimes. And I don't want to 
I don't, I don't want it to sound like I'm making excuses. Like, oh, you can treat people as terribly as you want to treat them. If, as long as you have a good excuse, <laughs> as long as uh, you have a bad childhood to blame it on. I'm just saying that at least we can understand where some of that's coming from. And I also don't want to make it sound like I'm like, I think of Yen as a bad person. I don't, I like Yen. And I've said that before. I think that she is a very well-intentioned person and she does care a lot about important things, but she can be ruthless. I don't think anybody would deny it. She can be ruthless and she can be kind of harsh and short, especially with Geralt. But yeah, overall, I like her and I'm not trying to sound like, I'm not trying to make it sound like I think she's a bad person, but she has her flaws that she is pretty upfront about a lot. Um, like where she could be a little bit mean, <laughs> just a little bit. And, um, yeah, I just think it's pretty interesting that now we probably know where that comes from. So it's briefly explained that she got her revenge on her parents. I, I don't know if it's both of the parents or just the father, but at least the father for sure. And that she doesn't regret the revenge that she took. So I don't know if that revenge helped her feel better, but I mean, hopefully the father got what he deserved because he sounded like a really bad person. Okay, well, that's pretty much all we learned there. So the next thing that happens with this trance that Yen is in is she sees Siri. And it sounds like she saw Siri right after the moment that she acquired that scar on her face, which we still don't know how she got. That has yet to be explained. But I was curious if Yennefer believed what she was seeing was real or not. It never says, but I guess she wouldn't know for sure. If she believes these visions to be real, then she got a small update on Siri. Probably not the update she would want. It was probably hard to see her right after receiving an injury, but she did get an update nonetheless. That's more than Geralt got because Geralt had visions in the most recent chapter that we were with him and he didn't get to see Siri at all. But she never talks about this later in the chapter we don't get to see what she thought about all those individual things so we don't know whether to uh we don't know whether to think that she believed those things to be real and what she thought about them exactly but speaking of her visions being real we know for sure what she saw after siri was real since it was Geralt fighting in the battle for the bridge it was described exactly how it took place, and we were present for that scene, so we know for sure she's seeing real things. Which brings me to the next vision of Geralt and Fringilla. Well, we have not witnessed Geralt and Fringilla in the same room. But, last chapter, the most recent chapter, the sorceress Asire recalled a letter that she received from her friend Fringilla, who had been residing in Toussaint. And Geralt is now in Toussaint. So could he be having an affair with Fringilla? I'm, I mean, I think that it was probably, whatever she saw was probably really happening because of the other things that she saw that we know were real. So last time Geralt talked about Yennefer, he thought that she was a traitor working with Vilgefortz to kidnap and use Ciri. But he had that vision in the cave with Avalok and got a fleeting glimpse of Yennefer and Manacles. So I don't know if he still thinks that she's a traitor because we never get to, just like with Yennefer in this chapter, when Geralt has those visions, we never get to hear his thoughts on the different things that he saw. We don't know if he knows them to be real. I would think he would think everything he saw was real since 
he, one of the visions that he had was Angolem, Milvan, and Dandelion being in trouble, and he goes to rescue them, and they were, in fact, in trouble. I don't know. I just, I wish that it was explored more, but maybe that's something that's being saved for a future chapter. I'm just really curious to see if Geralt still thinks she's a traitor, because if not, remember the last time they were together, he told her he loved her. So I would think he wouldn't be sleeping with somebody else if he has dismissed the possibility of her being a traitor. But maybe it doesn't matter and he'd have an affair with another woman either way. I mean, also, maybe what Yennefer saw wasn't real or wasn't what it seemed to be. And I'm theorizing here for nothing. But I do think it was real since we know for sure that some of the other visions were real, like I said. I'm also curious to know what Yennefer would think of that. Like, I wish that we could hear her thoughts uh, on Geralt sleeping with the woman who helped her flee from the lodge to find and rescue Ciri. I can't imagine she'd be happy about it, but... Who knows how she feels? We were not allowed to find out before she uh, went to the sudden abyss, but I don't want to get too far ahead here. So let's go into the last part of the vision, and it's in this corridor, and it's where Ciri's leading Yen down a dark hallway, and there's a bunch of doors opening on their own, and then they walk until they reach a door that doesn't open because it's forbidden to be open. And when they get there, I think it's Ciri telling Yen, it's not too late to turn back, and Siri says it's too late for her. Well, Siri actually had this exact same vision back at the end of Blood of Elves, but it was Yen leading her. So it's explained what's going on here just as much in this chapter as it was in that chapter in Blood of Elves, which is pretty much not at all. <laughs> so I'm really not too sure how to interpret this because when Siri had the vision, I thought it had to do with her becoming capable of performing magic, but it obviously doesn't mean that with Yennefer. Maybe it's not meant to be understood yet, so let's just move on. Well, Yen awakes from the trance, and the diamond she needed is no longer molded to the statue. It's on the ground lying at her feet. So this is pretty spectacular, and it's very fortunate that she was able to acquire the thing that she needed. So now that she's got the diamond, she gets to work, and then she tells Croc that she's going to be working on Hindersfjall, and then they have this little discussion about Ciri. And he says he knows Ciri is still alive. And that's because the blood of Sintrin queens, or the Elder Blood, is bound to the sea, and when one of them dies, the sea falls into madness. So this sounds extremely unlikely. Yen doesn't really seem to want to believe this at first. Uh, but... Croc says that he's seen it. He saw it when Adalia died. Adalia was Ciri's great-grandmother. He saw it when Calanthe died and also when Pavetta died. And then this is where Yen contradicts him at the mention of Pavetta because everyone believed that Pavetta died during a storm, so it would be really hard to say if the storm began as a result of her death. But he assures her the storm didn't begin until she was dead. And what caused her and Juni's deaths was sailing over the Sedna Abyss, which is a place other ships have unnaturally vanished from in the past. Well, Yennefer is getting to work. Her work entails communicating with sorcerers who all demand money, and she was blackmailing them with compromising information. She was talking a lot with them about Vilgeforts and Elven Sages, the Sedna Abyss, and the Tower of the Gull and the Tower of the Swallow. So, of course, we're familiar with these topics, but because the extent of elaboration on Yennefer's discussion around these topics was basically limited to 
list form, like how I just described it, uh, we really don't know what her goal was during these communications or any of the intricate details around these different topics, at least. But we do know that she learned something about this thing called the Radcliffe Commission, which was created to examine the teleportations from Thaned following the explosion of Tor Lara, and the commission discovered that one of the portals led to the Sedna Abyss, and it was used by Vilkaforts. And they later learned, even though it was improbable, that the portal in Tor Lara was active and was used, which we of course know for sure was Siri using it, but no one besides Siri, and I guess now Faisakota, know 100% that this happened for sure. So during her communications, Yennefer probably learned about the details of this commission's report and that Siri may have teleported through Tor Lara. I would guess she's trying to find out information on the Tower of the Swallow since that's where the Gull's portal is supposed to be connected to. It's not real. <laughs> Everything she does from here on out, it's just not very clear. It's left unclear probably for a reason, but... Croc comes to Yennefer with news about how Geralt and Dandelion were taken prisoner by Visigurd and then they escaped. So it's kind of neat that she was able to get an update on Geralt. And this news gives her an idea. It's not said what the idea is, just that she needs to make sacrifices to achieve favorable results. But later, Croc and Triss, who were investigating what happened to Yennefer, come to the conclusion that Yennefer was deliberately saying too much during her communications because either someone would betray her or someone would be listening in or both and she wanted to provoke them and challenge them by sailing to the Sedna Abyss. From here she has her last telecommunication with Triss and with Philippa and she was supposed to only be communicating with Triss but, but Triss secretly had Philippa in the room and Yennefer was able to tell that Triss wasn't alone. Although I, I I said that in a way that makes it sound like Triss was trying to be a sneaky. You know it was Philippa's idea <laughs> to try to get Triss to trick Yennefer into letting Philippa eavesdrop. But I mean, Triss was obviously compliant, but that's a different discussion for another time probably. But um, this whole conversation is actually kind of infuriating because Philippa is so unreasonable. I, uh, I really... I mean, I wasn't too sure on how to feel about Philippa before this moment, but I definitely don't feel that good about her anymore. At first, Yen assures Philippa that she won't betray the secret of the Lodge, and if she dies in the upcoming days, so Yen was basically aware that she could die, she requests that Philippa clears her name so that no one believes her to be a traitor after her death. And Philippa just says, nope, not doing it. Well then... Yen asks her to clear her name, at least just to Geralt. And, and Philippa, she says, nope, not doing it. And then she asks her to save Geralt. Philippa says that the Witcher's probably going to die anytime soon or any day soon. And Philippa just says, nope, not doing it. <laughs> Philippa makes it very clear she's going to try to find Siri for the Lodge's interests. And Yen tells her she'll leave behind information on how they might find Siri in exchange for these requests and she still won't agree because what Yen wants isn't in the interests of the Lodge. It sounds like these things 
aren't in the interest of the lodge because the alternative to her requests helped the lodge somehow. I'm not sure if that's completely true, but Philippa wasn't being even a tiny bit reasonable here and it was super frustrating. Well, that was what it was. The next day, Yen sets out for the Sedna Abyss with two small crews and the boat that she was on went through that disaster and she has not been seen since. Well, ever since it was rumored that Yennefer was dead back in chapter three, I was skeptical to believe it since it sounded like such an unceremonious death for such a major character, but now it seems like she really could be dead. If she went through that and hasn't turned up, no body has been found, I can't imagine how it could be that she survived, but I don't know. I think now it's, it's time to start feeling pessimistic about her fate, but like I said, no body has been found, and until it's 100% confirmed, I'm not going to fully accept that she's dead. I think that it's likely, but I'm not going to completely accept it. I think that uh, I should at least prepare myself to not be surprised if we do get confirmation, but she could still be alive. We'll have to wait and see. Well, the other question is, what happens in the Sedna Abyss exactly? Croc says that whatever happened, it was not an accident. When uh, whatever happened with Pavetta and Dooney when they were in the Sedna Abyss wasn't an accident. It's said to be unnatural. And it was said in the Radcliffe report that Vilgefortz teleported there from Thaned, which is quite a strange place to teleport to. So it wouldn't be surprising if he has any involvement in what goes on there, especially when Yen goes. Since she was looking for Siri, she was trying to figure out where Siri was, how she can rescue her, and we know that Vilgefortz wants Siri. So I, I think that we can expect that Vilgefortz is probably involved in these weird things that happen at the Sedna Abyss, but we don't know for sure. But probably. Okay, well. Before we wrap things up, I do want to talk about the part of the chapter where we visit Siri and Visigoda because they do talk about some what seem to be important things, and I definitely don't want to skip over that. Well, Siri and Visigoda are discussing how she teleported from the Tower of Gulls, which he's heard of. He's heard of this tower, and he's read that it's supposed to be connected to the portal in the Tower of the Swallow. And then they look at a book together that talks about this. So the book discusses how an elf called Avalok, interesting, led these humans to the Tower of the Swallow on a lake. And he said that it's the gate of the worlds and the threshold of time. And the tower appeared as if out of nowhere from the mists and they were not allowed to touch it because the tower serves only a chosen few and this part is in quotation marks because I don't speak like this, but <laughs> it says, for whom the threshold of time is a gate of hope and rebirth. Well, once they're done looking at the book, Visigoda tells Siri that he's sure that if she were to travel to Torzirel, the magical tower would appear for her because it doesn't appear for everybody and that she would be able to activate the portal and use it because he thinks that she's the chosen one. And you know what, with all of the things Siri is capable of that most people are not capable of, I'm willing to believe she's the chosen one too. There is so much going on around this girl that if there is a you know chosen one in this world, I think that Siri is it. 
Okay. My closing thoughts. Uh, since this chapter leaves a lot of the details it uncovers quite vague, I really don't have too many closing thoughts, just a couple of things here, but I did think it was very nice to get an update on Yen and an update on what happened to her after the lodge meeting since that happened so many chapters ago. It's just unfortunate that right after we received this big update, we're kind of left on a cliffhanger with her again. But maybe it's not a cliffhanger. Maybe she really is just dead and that's and that's just that. But we're gonna have to wait and see. And speaking of waiting and seeing, let's talk about what we're looking ahead to, what we're waiting for, or expecting. So hopefully we don't have to wait long before we receive confirmation on Yennefer's fate. And hopefully when we do learn, we learn that she's not dead, but I don't have high hopes. Kind of like what I was talking about. Like I'm preparing myself to get that official confirmation that she's dead. And if that does happen, I at least hope that Geralt does learn the truth. I mean, I know I said that there's a possibility he might have an idea that she wasn't a traitor since he saw her in Manacles. Although maybe he thought that she was in Manacles like she was captured by one of the northern leaders like Dijkstra or one of the kings or something. But I do hope that either way, he if he finds out that she's dead, he can at least learn that she was not working with Vilgefortz in Nilfgaard. I'm also wondering, is Triss going to be able to use any of Yen's discoveries to find Ciri? I mean, I doubt it, considering where Ciri is currently located. I don't think anyone can find her at the moment, but I wonder if she'll keep trying. And if she does, is she more driven to find Ciri by the Lodge's goals, or is it for her love of Ciri? With Triss, I think it could be a little bit of both because we do know that she cares about Ciri. You know, she thought of her as like a little sister, but Triss seems very intimidated by Philippa and pretty much afraid to do anything that would get Philippa's disapproval. I think Philippa is an intimidating woman, but it's a little disappointing to see how Triss is just like, she's willing to do whatever Philippa wants at the cost of her friendship with Yen, at the cost of... Uh, what might happen with Siri? I think that she's trying to tell herself, like, oh, we're looking for Siri, and it really is in Siri's best interest, and maybe it is, but at the same time, uh, I mean, it would be better if Geralt and Yennefer found Siri, for sure. It would be much better for that to happen than the Lodge, but it would probably better be better that the Lodge finds Siri over somebody like Boneheart finding her again. Not probably, definitely, but still, the Lodge having her is not a favorable outcome. More favorable than others, but still, that's not what we want. And yeah, Triss, I think she's just trying to tell herself, like, oh, that's in her best interest. That's the best thing for her. But I think that she's lying to herself. She's in denial because she wants to do what Philippa wants because she's afraid of her. Well, Siri, uh, the one thing I was wondering about is, is Siri going to try and travel to the Tower of the Swallow and use the portal? They kind of talk about that a little bit, the possibility of her doing it. And if she does, she would have to evade the people searching for her on the way to finding the tower, which would be very dangerous. And it would also be even more dangerous if she turns out not to be this chosen one and gets there and then can't find the tower. And then she's really left exposed because where is she going to go from there? Well, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But... I'm also ending this chapter very curious to see if we're going to soon be reading about a love affair between Geralt and Fringilla. It seems like that is coming up, but maybe Yen's vision was just a misunderstanding. Maybe it looked like that and 
something else is actually going on. Who knows? Not us yet. All right. That is all I have for you. Just to let you know, in case you didn't, these episodes are available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcast. Thank you so much for joining, and I will catch you all in the next episode.